Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Good evening and welcome to episode 00002213 of The Mission. My name is Daniel James. I'm going to be your host through to wait this evening. Broadcasting to you from Triple R World Headquarters at the end of the 96 line, which is, of course, on the beautiful country of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to elders past and present and to any traditional owners that happen to be in the building as we speak. Now, tonight on the show, shortly I'll be joined in studio by Yurok Justice Commissioner Sue Ann Hunter. And we'll talk about the report into Victoria's child protection and criminal justice systems, which was released by the Commission yesterday, the result of a long, arduous hearing process with First Nations people and those in charge of said systems. Now, in other matters, since last week's uh, wacky radiothon show, the date of the referendum was announced by Prime Minister Anthony Albanese. It's going to be on October 14th, as I'm sure you're aware, some 39 long, long days from now. As things stand at the moment, the polls aren't looking very good for the Yes campaign. But at the same time, I think we are getting a stronger sense that the Yes campaign is actually more united and galvanised than it's ever been and is ready to take on the next 39 days. The government and the opposition both have a lot on the line politically when it comes to this referendum, but even more so the opposition, I think. The referendum, it seems to me, is an actual key part of their strategy to return to government. And they're pulling every trick out of the book as part of the Conservative No campaign. Things like undermining the credibility of the AEC. Seems like a lifetime ago, but it was I think it was only last week when it was revealed that um, if you wanted to, you could mark yes with an X, a practice that has been available to people over the last 40 years when it comes to referendum. And it was available the last time a referendum was held in 1999, the Republic referendum, when John Howard was Prime Minister. You could do it then as well, if writing yes or no is somehow beyond you, which it can be, I guess. But that actually resulted in only 0.88% of the population marking a box with an X back then. So it's not really a problem, but it didn't stop Peter Dutton from ruminating that the referendum has been rigged and is leaning towards the yes side, a accusation that is totally unfounded and not based in fact. We had the Triple R Life member, John Farnham, on Sunday night come out and lend his performance of The Voice, You're The Voice, to the Yes campaign of the referendum. And I don't think that there were so many people who knew that they hated uh, John Farnham, but apparently now they hate him because he is making a stand and using what influence he has to a campaign to get a voice for First Nations people to Parliament. And just recently, I think it was yesterday, or maybe it was Sunday evening, something that was time to take off some of the gloss when it came to the John Farnham campaign. Peter Dutton and uh, David Littleproud have announced that if this referendum goes down and they are elected to government, that they will hold another referendum. This referendum won't be about a voice to Parliament. It'll merely be about recognitions. Now, one of the main criticisms from Dutton and Little Proud and, and those that are supporting the Conservative No campaign is that this referendum will do nothing practical 
for First Nations people. Well, as far as I can see, their proposed referendum will do less than nothing. And where's the detail, by the way? I mean, if we're talking about detail, where's the detail around this referendum? So it seems to me that the new slogan for the Conservative No campaign is if you don't know, vote no, and then vote yes. If no, wins. Which is not quite as catchy as their current one. Real terms, I expect the polls to tighten as we get closer to the vote. There seems to be analysis about that says that there's huge swathes of the population that haven't actually turned their mind to the way they will vote in this referendum. So we can't deny the polls is the way they are, but it would be premature to rule out the possibility of the, the yes vote getting up. But they certainly do have a, a mountain to climb between now and polling day. One of the things that they have in their favour is greater funding. They have huge corporate support from across the country, across sectors. They have more people on the ground to door knock, wait at train stations, hold town hall meetings, run call centres, trying to ignite a conversation around the benefits of a voice from their perspective. While the Conservative No campaign really just has News Corp, Jacinda Price, Warren Mundine, Peter Dutton and I guess some other conservative commentators across the way. We've seen that News Corp, in relation to state and federal elections, while making a tremendous amount of noise and racket and doing a very good job of activating sections of the community on issues that they think are important or can drive profit for their newspapers and their media empire overall, what we've actually seen, though, is that those efforts only ignite a certain section of the community and don't actually affect the overall results of elections. We have Labor governments right across the board on mainland Australia, despite the Murdoch Empire's best efforts to make sure that that isn't the case. So the lines are drawn and the battle has commenced as to what this country is going to look like. There is the binary question, yes or no, relating to the voice, and then there's an existential question relating to the voice, and that's what type of country we want to be and how we want to conduct ourselves. The way we conduct ourselves over the next 39 days will be just as instructive as the result itself. So it's going to be a a long, long time for mob. So if you know any mob or you're a mob yourself, look after yourself. If you know any First Nations people, be kind to them. But let's get the show on the road. Melbourne's own Triple R. It's time for our first guest. Yesterday, the Uruk Justice Commission handed down its report into Victoria's Victoria's child protection and criminal justice systems. Uruk, during the process, received 33 submissions from organisations and academics involved in the criminal justice and child protection system. These are all available on Uruk's website, by the way, which I'll point to towards the end of our discussion. In addition to that, between July 1, 2022 and 30th of June 2023, Uruk received 88 submissions from the public, 28 of which were anonymous. Commissioners attended 10 community roundtables and site visits to hear local First Peoples communities' experiences of the child protection and criminal justice system. And additionally, more than 4,000 documents from the Victorian government were produced in response to notices to produce from the Uruk Justice Commission, remembering that the Commission has the powers of a Royal Commission. So it was an exhaustive and thorough effort which has resulted in a report that contains 46 recommendations for the Victorian Government to reform the child protection system in partnership with the First Nations community or giving First Nations people the lead on some of these. Um, To help us merely scratch the surface of what is a very, very lengthy and thorough report and a landmark report is Commissioner and friend of the show, Sue Ann Hunter. 
Suanne is a proud Wurundjeri woman with a background in social work and particularly helping to prove the lives of Aboriginal children, women and families. As you well know, she is now a Commissioner of the York Justice Commission and she's sitting before me in the studio, first time we've met in the flesh. Mm. Suanne, welcome to the mission. Thank you. It's nice to be here in person after all this time. This is my third time here, and you said after the third time I get a T-shirt or something, if I remember correctly. It's actually your fifth time. Is it? Yeah. Oh. Um, I've just been too fucking lazy to, uh, to oh. organise a T-shirt. Okay. Maybe I can scrounge around at the back somewhere yeah, and get you a stubby problem. holder if that's the case. <laughs> but listen, we should probably talk about some important issues here because yeah, this definitely. report is a landmark one. It is something that the likes of the country mm. hasn't seen before. So let me start off with this question. Why did the Commission decide to forensically look at the child protection and criminal justice systems? The first thing we did at the start of the Commission was go around and seek input from our elders across the state. And with their wisdom and their knowledge, the most talked about issues and brought up issues and issues of concern and harms that are happening now were both the child protection and the criminal justice systems. So both of those, because they're happening now, the harms are happening now and they were most at the forefront of what was spoken about. So off we went. And it was an exhaustive um, uh, process, as I mentioned at the top of uh, this discussion. Where do you want to start with the report? (laughs) For people tuned in or listening across the country, there are just a whole bunch of takeouts from it. Um, For people listening at home, driving or wherever they may be, what would you suggest that they focus on as a starting point to get into the report itself or to understand the issues within the report? Yeah, so if you aren't across this, which I'm sure people are or they have heard the stats before. Listeners of this show would be, yeah. Yeah, particularly criminal justice and child protection, and we've spoken about it numerous times. Let's start with it's a landmark report. This extensive look and inquiry into the criminal justice and child protection system from the voices of First Nations people has never been done. So it's quite a landmark report and it hasn't been done in Australia. So it's the first formal truth-telling commission. We're lucky enough to have, and I say lucky because they didn't have to, give us the powers of a royal commission so we're able to compel people. First, let me say that I need to thank every single person that come forward with and gave mm. evidence. Every single person had a story that was unique to them. One of the things that I've found really moving in reading the report and following the the hearings and, and the submissions was the care the Commission took to ensure that people didn't walk away with extra trauma mm. from, from telling what are often very traumatic stories yep. in, in the first place. What were some of the measures that the Commission put in place to ensure that people walked away from giving evidence or submitting evidence, you know, without more trauma or, or feeling worse off? Yes, we've got a social emotional wellbeing sort of program that assists people during, before and after. We also have a LodgePA, which is a legal service, which is able to help people if they feel they need that. It, it's funny though, because because some people just wanted to tell us and that was enough. Yeah. So we met people where they were at and I think that was the particular... Look, these stories were harrowing. There's some that I can't talk about because they just put me in tears yet again. But I draw strength off them coming forward. Everything they told us went into those findings and let me be really clear that the findings are nothing new that listeners on this radio station would not know. They would know that these systems are deeply rooted in colonialism and colonial structures from the past. They are racist and they are unjust for First Peoples. Time and time again, told. If we, I mean, if we start 
off with the very basic premise. And another thing that the report does really well too is it gives us a history lesson mm. into uh, colonialism and the impacts it had on our people, your people, from day dot mm. in this place. And what that indicates and what it articulates very clearly is that colonialism as a construct wasn't designed with us in mind at all. It was designed and implemented on this continent on the assumption that we as a people would die out. That's uh, correct. That's um, it. And therefore, when we present ourselves or find ourselves within a justice system or within a health system, the colonial mindset throughout colonialism in this place now known as Victoria has had the mindset that they're dying out anyway, poor creatures, let's not worry about it too much. That mindset is reflected in systems across government everywhere That's in this country. And that's the starting point for trying to reform the criminal justice system, the child protection system. Because if you want to reel off some of the stats, what are some of the stats telling us? So we've got the worst removal of Aboriginal children nationally. So it's 21 times more likely if you're an Aboriginal child to be removed. You're 13 times more likely if you're an Aboriginal man or woman to be incarcerated. And we know those stats are going up. And we just found out today that the stats are raising again for youth going in the youth detention centres. So the construct of colonialism, and if you look at exactly what happened previously, incarceration and child removal, it has not changed. It just looks different in today's society. Particularly the removal of children from, mm. from their families and their broader families. It seems to me that it's gone from government policy to being sort of privatised in a way. I think systems work what's best for the government and what's best for the broader Australia. I also think sometimes it's around voting mm-hmm. and politics, whereas people get forgotten. And that's not just Aboriginal people, but that's everybody. I think if you're sort of lower class or, or struggling and you're the most vulnerable, your vote doesn't really matter. No, especially when you're, a, you know, in electoral terms, a, a tiny minority like us. But as a result of all that history, the way things stand at the moment as we sit mm. here is that Aboriginal people, women, children, men and families are fodder for the Mm. criminal justice system and for Mm. the child protection system. That's correct. What needs to change? The systems need to change completely. We've got two lots of... We've got all up 46 recommendations, but they're divided into two parts. You've got the long-term recommendations that will go into the treaty process to First People's Assembly about complete overhaul and transformation with self-determination at the heart of both systems. And then we've got our other other recommendations which go to uh, changes within legislation, laws and policy that will happen now, that need to happen now to stop the harms happening to our people. That's um, a big, big job. The Premier has said that his government is going to take a very close look at it. You've given the government 12 months to implement these recommendations. He seems to have walked back a little bit on that today. Um, How optimistic are you that the the government... And this is is the test for them now. It certainly is. to, To their credit... They worked with um, our people to establish this commission. Um, they worked with the First Peoples Assembly to establish that, establish this commission. And these are all really great things, and this is good stuff. But the true test of the government now is what it does with these 46 recommendations. That's correct. We've had seven apologies from uh, ministers, the Attorney-General, the Commission of Police over the times of the hearings. 
Now, you know, you can apologise all you like, but unless it turns into action and unless things change, well, those apologies are no good. We're really clear that things need to happen ASAP. So if you look between 2010 and 2019, the number of Aboriginal men and women in prison on remand increased 560%. That was when the times of the bail laws were set in motion. They knew then, through that documentation that we received, that that would adversely affect Aboriginal people, but they did it anyway. So what we're asking for is a transformation of the system, full self-determination for our people. These systems are broken. They are broken, and particularly the bail reform that is required, you know, it is just a simple unequivocal fact that if it wasn't for those punitive bail laws that were in place, that someone like Veronica Nelson would still be alive today. She would have received health care instead of being locked up in prison to die alone. And so that's where, you know, the rubber hits the road when we're talking about these particular matters. One of the pro- one of the things that um, was really interesting to see and fascinating to see during the, the hearings themselves was the Commission's ability to access data that otherwise hadn't been revealed mm. before. Yep. Tell us about, you know, some of those numbers, some of, some of that data that we were able to access that we didn't know about before and what it was like uncovering some of that. So there was, as you said before, there was over 4,000 government documents. There were some that were withheld. There's also some that are cabinet in confidence. There's some we can have, but we can't share with the public. Right. You can um, share them now if you want. Yeah, um. not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was very eye-opening what people know and what they choose to do. What does that, what does that tell you about the system? What people know and what they choose to do or not to do about the information that they have at their fingertips. Look, it's absolutely appalling that they know and they do it anyway, right? And you, so what... what conscience have people got it's it's heartbreaking because it's our mob and it also gives you an insight that some people just don't care yeah basically yeah and it's heartbreaking but you've got so much more work ahead of you when it comes to the to the work of the commission I mean this isn't even arguably the the biggest tenant of of what you've got to do no but I will say that this report isn't the end of child protection and criminal justice because we've got another two years so we can hold them to account. So when the final report comes out, uh, we can actually go back and say, hey, you haven't done A, B and C or you haven't done this or you haven't done to full extent and we can re-put it in. So we will still be watching. Do you think the government and the community more broadly actually realised how powerful the commission is? <laughs> Because no, I don't. This, I don't this, is, I, this is a very, very powerful tool that you have net to yeah. hold government and the community to account yep. on some of these matters. Do you think that the uh, government is now beginning to realise and the community is beginning to realise that we're not messing around here? Yeah, I think so. I think also when we had the uh, directions hearing when they weren't giving us the documents that we had, which is on our website, so all those hearings you can watch, basically held them to account about what you, you know, we need these documents and you want to hold them over. That's, we're real here and you need to understand the power that we have. And it's the first time we've cross-examined government on the stand. No one's been able to do that before. We are going into uh, land injustice and uh, we'll also be looking at health, education, housing. There's a lot to do in the next two years. Do you, do you think it's a possibility? Because that's truckloads of work. It is. That needs to be undertaken. So you've got, the, the Commission has got two years left to run mm. as we sit here now. Again, run us through what the Commission has to cover, as well as keeping this report alive yeah. and up to date. What's the work ahead of the Commission? So we've got this, we've sort of broken it up into streams. So there's land injustice, which is massive. So remembering the mandate is 1788 to current. Yep. So health, education, housing, economic and social and political life. 
I just th- had a few. I think I think that I think the social and political life is going to be really interesting because it goes to the heart in a way of the whole voice debate at the moment. We as First Nations people don't have generally intergenerational wealth. Correct. We don't have the networks that come with intergenerational wealth and therefore we don't have the access to the power and the decision makers that make decisions that affect our lives. So that element of the work that you're going to be undertaking, Mm. I think it's going to be really, really fascinating. Yeah, I think it's all fascinating. And what I will say about this report is we also wanted it to be an education tool because it's so landmark and because it's, it's got to stand the test of time we wanted to put it in context that's all that you know you said oh, before, you did, and it did beautifully that yeah. if you pick it up and you're a non-aboriginal person you can actually make sense of it one of the one of the first thoughts that came to my mind when the commission was established was wow what falls out of this commission in terms of the information that people share mm-hmm. and what we learn about systems surely that can somehow find our way into our state curriculum well the other thing is we've got the big larger piece which is the public record mm-hmm. I think also there's a lot we're doing and there's a lot of documents we're collecting and there's a lot of uh, sort of information we're putting out that can be part of that. Yeah. We want to leave, uh, I mean, this in itself, just this report is a legacy, but as a commission, and I tell you there's there's not that many of us at the commission under 50 staff. Look, I can't, I just can't say how much that everybody's in this um, to get justice. You can see that the, the 50 souls that are involved with the work of commission, the, the, the amount of work that has mm. gone into this report by itself is evident. Um, it has been put together with diligence, with forethought. It's been put together strategically. I don't want to sound corny, but at the end of the day, it's been put together with love too to, 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 yeah, to, to bring justice, to articulate the struggles of people present and past and trying to make sure that the issues that, are, that they confronted aren't mm. there for generations to continue. I think with some of this report, if there aren't tears in your eyes as you read it, I don't think you've got a heart, particularly go back and watch our hearings. There's, you know, some horrific stories. And the one that I always go to is unborn notifications. And I won't because if you've seen me in the media, I had a bit of a cry about that one. But, uh, you know, these things aren't just the past. They're happening now. It's also, before I let you go, it's also an example as well as to what true transparency is. We see so many inquiries and processes, coronial inquests, um, and the like that, have, that affect our people and affect the, the broader community. This process has been an incredibly transparent process. Like you said, if you want to go back and look at some of the hearings, if you want to read the submissions, most of them are there on the mm. Uruk Justice Commission website, which is urukjusticecommission.org.au, um, including this report, which you can avail yourself to and read it. Take your time with it. Let it sink in because there is so much into it. Before I let you go, have you been surprised by the reaction to the report? Or oh, I think this, it shouldn't be a surprise, but it is the things people are picking up on, particularly the government agencies or the non-government you know, agencies that are uh, non-first peoples have picked up, we need to do more training. Well, that's not what we're asking for. We're asking for full self-determination and transformation. Like we're not tinkering around the edges here and people need to understand that. This is not about training. It's not about reconciliation action plans. This is about reform. And it's also about how do we stop our kids being taken, our kids being locked up, and our people dying at the hands of the state because that's what this report is about, what the state has done to our people. And this is the roadmap to transform both systems. EuropeJusticeCommission.org.au if you want to read the report, if you want to look at some of the hearings and read some of the materials that presented to the Commission over the course of this really, really important work. 
back. I guess you'll come back into the studio some other time. I'm guessing, Sue Ann, now that oh. um, breaking the breaking the ice. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, happy to. I'm going to try and get a t-shirt. I mean, it's been slacking me. I'm going to try and I'll get a t-shirt. I'll bring you a Uruk one next time. Yeah, that'd be great. Oh, I thank you. About that. No, I appreciate that. But seriously, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Um, I know how arduous it must be, and I just hope that you and all the other commissioners are looking after each other and yourselves as well. Thank you. Yep, thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.